Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Revolutionized Mind. First off, I just wanted to say thank you to those who have placed orders for TRM merch and for supporting my collaboration with 1321Co. We're working on getting those out to you so we can see you start wearing and sharing them, which we are super excited about. So thank you very much for the support. So before I start the intro for this week, I just wanted to give a trigger warning that, again, we talk about eating disorders and behaviors of eating disorders in this episode, as well as substance use and self-harm. So please just be aware of these potential triggers before starting this episode. Last week, we briefly talked about the distinction between disordered eating habits and eating disorders themselves, which was honestly something that I didn't even know existed until about a year ago. And after learning about it more and doing more research, I realized that these were habits that I and my family and my friends have been partaking in our entire lives because they've been completely normalized by society. But a lot of people don't understand the underlying factors that contribute to the relationship between nutrition and mental health. And it was absolutely amazing that Carly was vulnerable and personal and shared her story with us last week. But I wanted to take a step back this week and kind of dig into more of what she was saying in terms of her own story, but from more of an educational perspective. Because I think these are things like with Carly's story and what I know she's gone through and many of us have gone through is we hear about these eating disorders all the time. But like I just demonstrated, we don't know what disordered eating habits are or we don't pay attention to them because they have been so normalized and we don't realize how destructive they are for our mental and physical well-being. And to be completely honest, I definitely never really paid attention to how strong the relationship was between nutrition and mental health and how much of an impact that it actually has, not only on our individual well-being, but towards the way that our entire culture and society views food. So I'm really excited to share the conversation that I had with today's guest because she is clearly very educated and passionate about this topic and I think she has a lot of great information and perspectives to share with us. And she really just opened up my mind to new ways to thinking about food and how it actually does impact me and those around me. So I hope you all can learn something interesting too and hopefully apply it to your life or someone close to you who you may see struggling with disordered eating habits or an eating disorder that's gone undiagnosed. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So last week with Carly, I thought it was really great to hear a personal story from her about her experiences with eating disorders, but I thought it would be super interesting to delve more into the relationship between nutrition and mental health, which is why I'm super excited to be here today with Maddie. So why don't you just introduce yourself? So first, thank you so much, Angelica, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, But yeah, so my name is Maddie Shoemaker. I'm a third year student at Western and I'm studying nutrition and dietetics. And I am a member of the varsity swim team at Western as well. And I'm one of the captains for the 2020-2021 season. And I'm just really passionate about community and cooking and being active and just being with people. So that's one of the reasons I'm really excited to be here with you today. Awesome. And yeah, so clearly you are educated being a major in nutrition and dietetics, which is why I thought you would be the perfect guest for this topic. Um, So yeah, I guess going off that, why did you decide to choose that as your major? 
So growing up um, as a female athlete uh, was kind of a complicated one for me with food. And I, I had a super, super supportive like age group coach. And now I have a very supportive university coach. But my own personal relationship with food was one that was complicated, which I think we will go in more um, a bit later. But during high school, I took some nutrition courses, and I just fell in love with it and the science behind it. And so looking into when I was going into university, that was just what I knew I wanted to do, not knowing where that was going to take me further. But it was really kind of a straight path for me that I loved food. I loved cooking food. I loved learning about food and what it could do to nourish us. And I think it's just such an important aspect of our lives. We all need to eat. We all need to uh, nourish our bodies. And I think it's something that can connect us so well. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love how you said that we do all need food. So it is something that is relevant for everyone and something that a lot of people are not actually educated on. And you said that you did have a bit of a rocky relationship with food. So what implications has that had on your mental health throughout your life? So yeah, I would say that my relationship with food was kind of the first signs of my mental health. And that's how it first kind of came to the forefront was how I was reacting to my eating habits. And it was when I was about 13 or 14. So just probably getting into high school, when I started really focusing on what I was eating and the quality of what I was eating. And it was something that I could channel my control into. So if I felt that I was losing control or I needed something to be able to kind of steady me, that was something I could use. But it started getting really, you know, kind of developing more toxic behaviors that didn't allow me to kind of just enjoy food as something that's going to fuel me. And I would get really, really nervous to eat at friends' houses. Or if I went to a friend's house, I would only eat off the vegetable tray because I was scared about what I was putting into my body. And I wouldn't eat chips. I wouldn't eat anything that came out of a bag or a wrapper. I had some what I call trigger foods that for me would cause me extreme nervousness or anxiety behind those foods when I was going to eat them because I thought that if I did eat them, something bad was going to happen. And so that was a huge, huge aspect of my own mental health coming kind of to the forefront, but it really just manifested through my relationship with food. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the both of us, we only have the female and the female athlete experience. So I think that is something that a lot of girls struggle with is especially how you said, like going to eat at birthday parties or in front of other people, we are so self-conscious and aware of how we're behaving and how we're eating our food. And from what we do here, I don't think it is as serious for males, but from our experience, I know that it is super, super relevant and prominent in everything that we do. So this is going to be a really important conversation, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I love how you also just talked about in general, are watching what we eat and when we eat it. Because again, I loved how last week when you were talking with Carly, especially about looking at even other role models and the media too. And I think that that was an aspect for me as an athlete, it's hard to compare yourself to the people in the media and how does my body compare to that? 
especially when you're changing to young people in general going through um, stages of growth and a really important stage of growth during puberty, that's a really, really vulnerable time. And that's also why a lot of people at that time can develop some disordered eating habits because it is a point in time when there's so much going on. Yeah, and that's a perfect transition into the next question because I know you mentioned yourself that you were partaking in some disordered eating habits when you started becoming aware of what you were eating and I guess what others might have been thinking about your own behaviors. So can you just explain a little bit further what disordered eating is and the negative effects of it? For sure. So there's kind of three different categories, I guess I would say. So there's normalized non-disordered eating which is if someone is mindfully consuming their food when hungry and is able to stop when they're full and just incorporate a variety of foods into their diet. And so that is almost an ideal. I would say not a lot of people that I personally know that that happens with. I know there's a lot of people who even if they wouldn't necessarily consider themselves having disordered eating habits, there might be things in their life that they still partake in that someone would consider disordered eating, but it works. It works for them. So essentially disordered eating is negative coping strategies with food. So this might be eating when they're bored, eating the same thing every day, cutting out main food groups, getting nervous or anxious about what they're eating, eating a little less because they feel like they've eaten too much the day before, or using it as a comfort. And then when it turns into an eating disorder is when these habits become way more severe, essentially. And there are certain categories, obviously, for eating disorders. There are many different types of eating disorders, which we can go into later. But it's basically when it has gotten to a point where it is very much affecting your mental health and it's considered a mental illness is when is the differentiating factor between disordered eating and an eating disorder. Yeah, and I think it is insanely common in our society that a lot of people do actually partake in these behaviors. And especially how you said the thing about, oh, you ate too much the day before, so you're going to eat less today. I find that with exercise too, a lot of people balance that saying like, I can eat this today because I know I'm going to work out or I haven't worked out, so I can't eat this. And it's just building that relationship within our own minds that we need to do this in order to be allowed to eat this and vice versa. Exactly. And it's really difficult, again, because it's such a sliding scale. There's no, okay, you exhibit A, B, C, D, therefore you just have disordered eating patterns. But if you exhibit EFG, then you have an eating disorder. So that's why disordered eating behaviors need to be taken very seriously because they can lead. It's a very slippery slope to developing an eating disorder. And that's why I think it's so important to know kind of the signs and symptoms that can be developed because of disordered eating. Yeah. And like you said, too, like it does work for some people and they may not consider it an actual issue. But I mean, underneath it all, these are real problematic food and mental health relationships. Exactly. Exactly. So from your own personal experience and knowledge on this topic, how do you think we can reduce these thoughts, feelings and behaviors towards food? So I think I've heard you talk about it. We've talked about it briefly, but a person I really like to look towards is Victoria Garrick. 
who I know we both mutually really love her. Love her. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that there's multiple things that we can do. I've really tried to implement a little bit more of intuitive eating into my own life. And I know that Victoria Garrick does do that. Um, and she's a big, big advocate for intuitive eating which again goes into the definition of normalized non-disordered eating behaviors where one can mindfully consume their food and is able to stop when full and recognize even when they're hungry. And I think that that is a really important skill that a lot of people don't have and that a lot of people don't even know they should have. Because when there's advertisements and people throwing snacks and there's just always food, we have an abundance of food in the society we live in right now that we're not mindful about what we're eating. And so I think that that's a really, really big one. But also being able to talk to someone about your eating habit, kind of bounce things off of people if you are struggling it's really great to be able to have someone you can rely on and to support you during a time where you feel like you're struggling with food and even to support you while you're eating. That is something, again, for eating disorder recovery, that is sometimes a big aspect is to make sure that you have those connections and that support system while you're eating because that can be a very vulnerable time. And then start eating foods that you really enjoy and experimenting with your foods. So if you're in an eating disorder recovery, you're really encouraged to just eat things that you would like to eat and eat really what you want. But for someone who is just trying to improve their um, relationship with food, it's being like moderation. It doesn't have to be crazy, but if you want to eat an ice cream or an Oreo or whatever that is that kind of brings you joy, you should be able to do that. Because again, something that we say a lot in like dietetics is all foods fit, but not in exorbitant amounts. Yeah, I think those are amazing tips. And especially the moderation piece, I think in everything we do, moderation should be at the core. But yeah, just like me and Carly were talking about last week too, if, if you want the chocolate, you can eat the chocolate. It doesn't have to be this long list of reasons as to why you should be allowed or why you should not be allowed. It's whatever makes you feel good and will make you mentally well in that moment. Exactly, exactly. So I think that that's really the, the biggest take home point is make sure that you're just, you are being good to yourself. and being consistent and moderate with what you're putting into your body for sure. Yeah. And just same with what you said about Victoria Garrick as well. going to bring that up again. Um, I think just following the people that do educate you and make you feel good and bring you, I guess, back to your own reality are super important, especially in the social media age that we do live in. Just following people that really keep your, I guess, mental state in check and don't make you feel like you need to be this person that you're not. And that's why I do love Victoria because, I mean, she has her own podcast called Real Pod and her whole basis off everything she does is just keeping it real and showing the behind the scenes that a lot of people don't really get to see. So that's why I love her. And I really do encourage people to just follow people that have a positive impact on you and your mental health. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think there are so many amazing accounts like Victoria's that you can follow that really encourage kind of a little bit more of a holistic approach to nutrition and lifestyle. And that's who I like to follow. Because again, there are a lot of things I was saying before as young people growing up and having all of these influences and to see people who maybe don't look like you or are triggering for you. And you really have to eliminate that as much as possible because you want it to be a positive impact on your life. Yeah. And you mentioned control as well. And so did Carly last week. A lot of people with eating disorders, they do it because they want to feel control. 
if I can yeah. just link that back to social media, that is one thing you can control. You can control who you follow and you can always control what you see, but you can actively try to ensure that you're only seeing things that do have a positive impact on your mental health. And if people are posting things that don't make you feel good or make you question your own self-worth, there's an unfollow button that you can click and that's your choice. You can make that decision to better yourself and your mental well-being. Exactly. I really couldn't agree more. You need to do all the little things to mitigate the bigger risks that could happen for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's also a bit of confusion between different eating disorders and what the diagnoses actually consist of. So I just want to get into a little bit, I guess, if you want to share some brief information on this topic and highlight some of the main misconceptions. Yeah, for sure. So the first thing is, is that approximately 1 million Canadians have been diagnosed with an eating disorder. So it's something that is, again, what I think I love what you're doing with your podcast is trying to make this information accessible and really bring it to people's attention. And again, that's something else is that eating disorders, do people realize that there are a lot of people who are suffering from this mental illness? Because eating disorders are a mental illness, and they're not something that people choose, and they are common in our society. So again, a misconception is, you know, disordered eating, eating disorders, they're a mental illness, they're something that needs to be taken really seriously, because they also do have the highest mortality rate of all mental illnesses. And the causes aren't fully understood. And it is a complex illness. But there, you know, we try our best to find criteria that fits with the different eating disorders that have been kind of categorized, essentially. So first, there are kind of six clinical eating disorders. There is anorexia nervosa, uh, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, avoidant and restrictive food intake disorder, other specified feeding and eating disorders, and then just other eating disorders. So I think the two most common ones that a lot of people hear about is either anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa, and probably binge eating disorder as well. And again, each of these it has its own characteristics and can be categorized. As I was saying before, it might be those more extreme symptoms um, and that slippery slope from those disordered eating behaviors and how they can progress. And then other specified eating disorders or other eating disorders can be something like anorexia nervosa type or binge eating disorder type. So these eating disorders have all of the same characteristics typically of anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder, for example, but they might not come as often. They um, might be less frequent, maybe only occur within a three month period of time or may occur only once every month. So even though, you know, people think, especially for anorexia, nervosa, for instance, you kind of have to be skin and bone. But that's not that's not true because actually most people who do have anorexia nervosa aren't that stereotypical skin and bone look. And there are people who are of what is considered like BMI, normal weight, who do have this mental illness. So again, as I was saying, it is kind of a very complicated topic. And I'm really just brushing the surface here, obviously. But there are so many different categories that we could go into that aren't discussed and a lot of people don't know about. 
Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's super important point to, I guess, highlight there is that you can, I guess, do an episode on every single one of these disorders and go into much more detail than we are today. But I think it's a really good start to get people more aware of what these different diagnoses consist of and how to look out for maybe disordered eating in their own lives or someone else's. Yeah, for sure. And there's also so many resources. I know that you like you always offer amazing resources through this podcast. But where I find a lot of my information is either like the National Eating Disorder Information Center. There's also like Psychology Today or just reading like there are a lot of amazing resources out there if you do want to learn more about these topics. Because again, there's only so much I think we can really kind of get into today. And these resources really give it the importance and the weight that these mental illnesses almost deserve. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say like, we have everything at our fingertips. If you're interested in learning more about a specific topic, you can definitely go search it up on Google and use those credible resources. Along with the, the clinical eating disorders, there are also basically disordered eating behaviors that are widely recognized within the nutrition and dietetics community, but they are just not recognized in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders but their signs and symptoms should be taken seriously. And one of these is called orthorexia. So the first time I had ever heard of it was basically summed up as an unhealthy obsession with healthy foods. And this is something that I really felt that I connected to through my food journey and my mental health journey was kind of this definition because I did have a very unhealthy obsession with eating like a good quality of food with healthy foods. And that's the only thing I wanted to eat. Again, it's only eating things that are regarded as healthy or only eating natural products. And there's only one correct way to eat. And a lot of disordered eating behaviors fall under this category and need to be taken seriously because they can lead to a clinical eating disorder. The only other thing with orthorexia and how it played a role in my life was that the stress and the overwhelming feelings it caused me, especially with my social life and with my friends and family, because even going out to dinner or eating out somewhere else caused me a lot of distress and it would make me feel that I was very much out of control. And even now it's something that I really need to continually work on because I find that if I am going out to eat or if someone says, oh, do you want to do dinner? My automatic response is, okay, I'm going to cook. Or I prefer to cook over anyone else because I like to feel like I'm in control of my food. Like I can go out and I'll buy the food. I will cook the food. I will bring all of the ingredients. And a lot of the time I've covered it up as I'm in nutrition and dietetics. I just love to cook. But there's also an underlying cause behind that that maybe not a lot of people recognize that I need to be in control of that. And I don't want to cause that unnecessary stress in my life by allowing, you know, some, some other people, some really like to cook, but I go, nope, not, not today. I'm, I'm going to do that because it's, it's a way that I can control it and almost in a sense, selfishly make my own life easier. 
Well, you're definitely gonna have to cook me a dinner one day. Yes, I will. <laughs> Tell me when I'll show up. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't think that's selfish at all. I mean, you're taking the steps that you need to better mm-hmm. yourself. And if that's the only way you can go and do that social thing, like have dinner with your friends is to control the food that you're eating, then I mean, the people in your life should understand. And yeah. it's a positive step in the right direction, I think. Yeah, for sure. So how do you think that these different disordered habits and diagnosable disorders impact our society as a whole? So uh, this is, I think, definitely a loaded question. And there's definitely a lot of underlying kind of issues on how our, I think, society almost portrays what disordered eating habits are or what eating disorders are just in general. And a lot of the time I've seen even growing up, I think it was harmful because you see a lot of those typical like really slim people or you might see in movies or tv shows that people might be engaging in these harmful behaviors that it's seen as a good thing it's seen as congratulations you're doing good for your body by starving yourself or by purging or by over exercising And that has been hard for me to watch over the past few years because it's almost reinforcing that I'm doing good for myself. Like, oh, okay, I've seen it. People either congratulate me for it. People are engaging with me and saying, oh, good job for these habits that really aren't that healthy. On a personal example, when I was eating very, very restrictively, I would, well, I would get two sides. I would either get, oh my gosh, you are so healthy. How do you do it? That's amazing. And I would go, yeah, you're right. I am eating really healthy. I'm going to continue with this and let's see how healthy I can possibly be. And then it would go the other direction. Like, why are you eating so healthy? Why is this a thing for you? And would be also shaming instead of, which I think is a huge thing too, because it shouldn't be something that as a society, we shame people for on their eating habits. Because it's something that, again, everyone does and everyone does differently. And we're all hopefully just trying to do our best for ourselves. And someone's best looks different from another person's best. So if I choose to eat really healthy and or I choose to put certain things into my body that's different from someone else, then please don't comment because that might be a really, really big trigger for me and might cause me to have to even change my diet even more and restrict even more. So the way that we talk again, and the different habits, there's so many different effects, because again, food is something everyone needs. So therefore, it affects everyone in such a different way. Yeah. And like you said, like what works for one person might not work for another is a really important point because like you said, some words might be tricking for some people or some people might have a really hard time even looking at certain foods or watching someone else eat certain foods. So it's a conversation that I think we really do need to open up and allow people to be comfortable voicing those opinions. Yeah, exactly. Um, So you talked a little bit about, I guess, like what you see on TV and social media. And I think a big one is drinking behaviors and college settings, especially. And I think there is a major connection between these negative drinking behaviors and nutrition. So can you just expand a little bit on that in terms of what you've studied in your program and how destructive these situations really are? Well, in nutrition, again, I think because a lot of people in nutrition are very obviously passionate about food. So number one, 
alcohol doesn't typically have a lot of nutritive value. Um, and so it, it's something that's social, which is, which is great. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but it's the mindset and the behaviors behind that that and this like the psychological effects behind drinking that again play into the disordered eating and eating disorder behaviors so from my experience over the past few years especially being in university again like the drinking culture has often been you know i want to get super drunk tonight so i'm not going to eat before or i'm going to like i'm going to purge so that I can continue drinking and saying really kind of off the cuff comments. Um, I think as we, I think you had discussed even in your first episode, kind of when saying someone's having a hard day and just like, oh, I'm so depressed today. It's this almost the same thing as saying, oh, like, I'm just going to pull trig. Like I ate too much or, oh, I'm just not going to eat tomorrow. And those have the same effects on the people around me. And I know personally have had, like, have affected me greatly when friends or acquaintances have said that when we're out either drinking or if we're out in a social setting. So it's, it's definitely, that was kind of a long winded answer. And I don't know if it exactly answered the question, but it is something that affects, I think, me personally in a very big way. And I imagine would affect other people as well. No, yeah, it definitely did answer the question. And I think those words and our dialogue in these situations is a really important thing to pay attention to. Because like you said, those little comments can be absolutely horrible for anyone who's either recovering from an eating disorder or going through one and no one knows about it, especially if they are bulimic and partaking in purging and behaviors like that and hearing people talk about it so freely can be extremely difficult and put a huge, huge negative impact on their own mental health. So it's something that I think we should uh, be more aware of and definitely call out when people are talking about it. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's so many there's so many layers to it um, in every in every situation. But that one for me was definitely a new one especially going into the university um, kind of setting. And one, I didn't even really imagine it being like that and being as triggering as it has been, but also goes to show, yeah, we really just need to watch how we approach it. And I think also it, it sometimes feels very encouraging of those behaviors as well, even for someone who might not have an eating disorder, but might be developing disordered eating behaviors. How does that affect them? And how does that almost encourage the behaviors that they might partake in in the future? Um, because I think it should be preventative. We shouldn't try to be kind of fixing it after the fact. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I guess a good transition into a personal story that I will share. But just that connection between disordered eating habits and our mental health and people not really knowing when it's happening or what the effects are. So especially with the whole throwing up when drinking thing, I think is something very common. And like you said earlier, it's one of the things that is congratulated and people think it's awesome. And on a personal note, in high school, I was kind of deemed like the puke and rally queen because I would throw up every single time we drank. And I would always just brush it off because of my meds. And I would say, oh, like my meds don't go well with alcohol. So I just throw up and I'm fine. And I would always be able to rally and come back and keep drinking. And I was praised for that. People loved it. They're like, yes, you, you rock, keep going. But what I guess a lot of people didn't know and something that I struggled to accept for a long time was that was kind of a self-harm behavior for me. 
And alcohol was one of my biggest coping mechanisms during that time, especially in high school, during the lowest time of my life. And I would turn to drinking because it was a way for me to get away from my own head. And it just took away all those thoughts and feelings that I didn't want to feel or think about. And it was a way for me to just, I guess, let loose and be free. But pushing myself to the point of me wanting to throw up and needing to throw up was, it felt like a way of me needing to punish myself. And that horrible feeling of throwing up and feeling like shit was what I wanted. And I would just continuously push myself and just keep drinking until that happened and then keep drinking until it happened again. And people loved it. I was so congratulated for it and continuously had that title and people would just keep patting me on the back and keep going. But underneath it all, I it was because I wanted to put myself through that and I was not well mentally and it felt like it was what I deserved. And it was just a way for me to cope and get away from those depressive thoughts and anxious feelings. And looking back now, it obviously was not a positive or healthy coping mechanism. And I do still find myself falling into these behaviors sometimes, but it's something that I'm much more aware of now and something that I definitely don't like to be congratulated for anymore and will call out if people are talking about it in a positive way because I really don't think it is a positive thing to brag about. But with the education and the experience, I think we can start to change these conversations around it. Yeah, well, I really, I loved how, you know, you can recognize now the behaviors and the coping mechanisms and almost the reasoning behind it, because I think a lot of people don't, again, since it's not something that we go like throwing up, yeah, that's that's a sign of self-harm or a sign of you wanting to punish yourself. I think a lot of people, even because of the drinking culture, oh, you know, they drank too much. But what what is the reasoning behind that? And what is the coping mechanism that is kind of driving you to that point that you do feel like you need to throw up? And I think that it's super relevant because I have also been in that same place too, going, drinking is going to help me cope and make me feel better. And because that's the only thing I can turn to right now, because my life feels so low or so, so stressful, or a variety of different things that this is the only thing I can do. And then that then leading to, I feel so bad that I, I want to harm myself through purging. And I, I also think it's really interesting as well, as you said, that you would kind of just chalk it up to it's, it's just the combination with my meds because a lot of the time people with eating disorders often have a history of either depression or anxiety or can be at risk for anxiety and depression in the future too. So they can be very, very intertwined. And so it's something just to be so cognizant about and so aware of because of the weight and the severity in which it can lead to. Yeah. And I think there is a really big relationship between depression and anxiety and eating disorders, because at the core of it all, when you are feeling that way about yourself, you are going to develop those thoughts and feelings that are related to depression and anxiety that do have a super strong negative impact on our lives. So just understanding, I guess, where they're coming from and how to go about it is a good first step. Exactly. So wrapping up with the last question, what are the two most important things that you want people to remember about this conversation? So the first thing is, is to be compassionate to yourself and to others and make sure that you are always just mindful about what you say and how you say it. Because again, 
you need to be able to check in with yourself and check in with others and make sure that you're being gentle with yourself and ensure that we're creating safe spaces and safe environments for those in our lives. And of course, it's okay to have fun. And of course, it's okay to, you know, drink with your friends and go out and like, we're, we're young, you know, that it, it's an exciting time in our lives. But I think a lot of the time there, uh, there's a lot of things that are brushed off and a lot of things that we're not mindful or cognizant of that we can be more compassionate to those around us and make sure we're creating just really safe and healthy environments so that everyone can kind of be their best, their best selves for sure. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, well, one of my, I guess, like favorite quotes is by Theodore Roosevelt and it's daring greatly. I know we, we just talked about Brene Brown and this was one of her favorites and it just, it kind of goes, it's not the critic who counts and not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, but who at the end knows the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. And I think that this is just such a powerful quote because you're right now, we're in the arena. You are doing something so amazing. You are out there advocating for mental health and being open and vulnerable with such a community and you're inspiring so many people. And I think that to continue doing this work and to continue putting this great information and knowledge and just energy out into the world is so important and just to continue daring greatly and to continue leading your best and most authentic life with all of those battle scars and with all of those hardships because that's what makes you you and whether or not you're you're struggling with a mental illness or you're struggling with your mental health or you're going through a hard time that's something that we can all share and it's going to make us stronger and it's those people like you who I feel that, you know, we're connected through the fact that we can talk about this and we can move forward and be stronger together. Well, thank you very much for saying that. Firstly, I really do appreciate it. And I do appreciate your vulnerability today to come on here and share your experiences. I know we didn't get too much into your specific story today, but you shared a lot of great knowledge with us that I think a lot of people are not aware of. So hopefully this conversation, whoever listens to it, will open up a lot of people's minds and perspectives to new ways of thinking about food, eating food themselves, and controlling the conversation around food and society. So I guess with that, thank you very, very much for joining me today and again, being vulnerable to talk about things that have impacted you and things that you feel that we can make a change in society. Well, thank you so much. It was my absolute pleasure <laughs> to be here with you today. Awesome. Thank you. Well, she is just an absolute sweetheart and had me tearing up there at the end. And I am very excited to hopefully try one of Maddie's famous meals very soon. But in all seriousness, I think it is amazing that she was able to open up and share with us today those thoughts and feelings that she has when someone simply asks her to go out for dinner or to some kind of social setting that will involve food. And it's that stress of not being in control and not fully being aware of what you're putting into your body that she explained that a lot of people 
don't even really consider when asking, hey, do you want to go out for dinner? These little things could be triggers for anyone dealing with disordered eating habits or eating disorders themselves. And although that is a very fine line, and obviously you can ask someone to go out for a meal or something, I think that compassion that she was talking about and being vulnerable and willing to express those concerns that several people do have and reframing it in a way to say, I would love to have a meal with you, but can I cook? Because it makes me feel more comfortable that way. And that should be something that is validated and completely okay to admit and talk about. So I think that's a new perspective and a new way of thinking that I think is really going to help me moving forward. And it's just another reminder that you genuinely, truly never know what other people are going through. And it's just so important to keep an open mind and an open heart and just do everything you can to make sure that you're creating a safe space for the people around you. When I was talking to Maddie before we started recording, talking about which direction we wanted to take this episode, she was telling me a bit about her story, but also just this burning passion that she has for the topic of the relationship between nutrition and mental health, because through her own experiences and what she's learned in school, she's become so aware of the problematic behaviors and perceptions towards food that we as a society obtain. And I think it's really great that she wants to help create change and share what she knows to help us better ourselves and to start changing this conversation around food. And when she was giving me a bit of an educational background about orthorexia and these drunk behaviors, I actually opened up and told her that story of me knowingly pushing myself to the limits to experience some type of self-harm. And... That was honestly the second time I've only said that out loud. The first being my therapist and the second being to Maddie. And the only reason why I did that was because she was explaining the stuff to me and I was sitting there like, whoa, I did that. I sometimes still do that. And I mean, through years of therapy and what I knew in my own head, but was up until this week still very scared to admit out loud. I've realized how strong this connection is and how distorted our perceptions are towards food and our bodies and our mental well-being and everything. And although this is just a conversation about all these things that we see wrong maybe in society and we really want to fix, I think these are things that are really not ever said out loud. And to listen to this podcast and to maybe start reflecting on your own life and your own behaviors and talking about it with your friends and family, this is how we're going to create change. And trust me, (laughs) I'm a bit of a partier. I love to have fun with my friends. I love to drink and really live my life and enjoy my time. So I am not at all insinuating that you always need to be on your A game and in full control because then I would just be a total hypocrite. But like we said in the episode, I think moderation is a key word for honestly almost everything we do. And just knowing your limits and understanding when these behaviors are frequent and problematic. So for me, yes, they were fun. Everybody praised me for them. While I knew how destructive the behaviors were and why I was doing it, And for me, it was the frequency that was a big indicator that this was happening every single time we drank. 
And I was the one experiencing the thoughts and feelings that were going through my head and my body. No one else who was patting me on the back. So they didn't really know why and can't blame them. But it's that congratulatory behavior that I think also kind of gave me a bit of reassurance that what I was doing was good, um, which now I know how unhealthy that was. And there's still a lot more detail I have to my story in terms of my coping mechanisms, but it does feel really good to actually say this out loud and hopefully allow others to think about their own experiences and what they think is normal may actually be extremely detrimental to their health. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this very informative and inspiring episode today with Maddie. I know I learned a lot and I took a big vulnerable step with you today. So thank you for being my ears and for the support and hopefully the building blocks for other people to be encouraged to open up and share their story and figure out ways we can revolutionize the mind together. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review as well as follow my social media accounts on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And I look forward to seeing you next Friday.